This is one of those trivia question books. How many chapters are in Jude? One. And uh, so uh, sometimes in a Bible study, if you're a smart aleck like me, say, turn in your Bibles to Jude 3 or chapter 3. And then people are like, wait, it's only one chapter. But we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. Today, uh, I've begun a, a short um, series the month of January starting the year called the 2022 Challenge. And uh, we're talking on certain topics. And last week was fasting. Um, and maybe some of you have already begun to try to do that. Um, maybe you altered your diet a little bit this week. Uh, uh, but we, we had a real good time last week talking about that. And then today is faith. And next week is family. And, uh, and, and uh, then we're... Uh, um, sorry, we're going to come to prayer. But then after that, I'm going to come back to faith. So this faith is in two parts. Today is the body of belief. Next time will be the belief of the body, uh, who that body is. And so um, we're going to look at Jude 3 and 4. I put both references up there because Ephesians, I'll just tell you what it says, that, that, they, that God has put everything under the feet of Christ, and it says to the church in those verses, that the church is the body of Christ. And so the body of faith that we believe in is, is found in the body of life uh, known as the church, for we are the bride of Christ, we are the body of Christ here on earth. And Jesus is the living word, and this is the, say it with me, We're going, i got to get you involved. This is the written word, right. So we have a living word and a written word, and they do not contradict. So, uh, well, I'll come to all that in just a second. So let me read Jude ch uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3, or 3 and 4, sorry. Beloved, though, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Join me again in prayer. Uh, Lord God, Again, we bow in your presence in the name of Jesus, for, uh, Lord, we need you. Uh, we sang that a minute ago, we need you every hour. There's, there's no moment of time in which we do not need you. But, Lord, we need to know the, the real you. We need to know the, the God of the Bible, the, the true Christ. And I pray, Lord, that today you would help us to see your truth, that we would know your ways. And, uh, Lord, just to talk about you is so vast, we could never exhaust the subject. And so I pray for guidance that uh, the, the few things I am able to say today would, uh, would help us, that would change our lives, that we'd be more like you having heard it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. And so today we're going to talk about faith. And here, here's something I want you to take home with you today is that if our faith is not solid, then the entire foundation is shaky. Our faith is our foundation. Our faith must be solid. I want to make a general comment here, and that is, in these verses, when it says faith, it, is, it, it, it can be understood one of two ways. One is that we have faith. We talk about having faith, and, and people misunderstand that verb of faith. The verb means trust. It actually means trust. It doesn't mean believe in something that ain't true. It means, it means 
of standing on something you cannot see, but God has promised us there, okay? I have not seen heaven. I, I, I cannot by experience tell you that it exists, but I can tell you that God promises there is that he comes into those who believe in him and that that is the ultimate end of us. But this word faith in Jude is also understood as what we believe and the full body of what we believe. And so that's, that is how I'm approaching this this morning. And, and I just, I got to confess, I, I've been confused in my life about what faith or the faith really is. Um, I'm going to give you a, a, a statement. I've said it many times. Maybe you never heard, caught it. <clears throat> this context will help us. <coughs> Excuse me. This context will help us to remember it. I learned it from a man named Robertson McQuilkin, who's now with the Lord. And it's this, it is easier to go to a consistent extreme than to remain in the center of biblical teaching. There, there are subjects we begin to talk about, and you got people over here and people over here, and direction doesn't matter. They could be up here or down here or over there or over here. Uh, we just kind of separate ourselves sometimes. And when we do, it's because we've caught on to a part of the whole truth, and we run just to that. We run to try to, to get a hold of that. And, uh, and in fact, just the little bit I do know about what uh, Brother Justin does in Africa and what we're going to be doing is that it, it gives you a broad basis. And in 11 weeks, you'll, you'll know every basic doctrine, and just help me if I'm wrong, every basic doctrine that you need to know and everything you ought to be doing in 11 weeks. But it's tough. You, it's going to be hard. So uh, I, I'm not going to make it easy for you. I want it to be hard. But, but I just know that myself, as a teenager... I got up, caught up in a certain way of looking things, and, and that still affects me sometimes. Sometimes I, I find myself leaning that way, uh, and, and, and I realized I was wrong. And, and I was looking at faith as a works-based thing, even though I gave lip service to know uh, that, that salvation is free, it's not something you can work for, then we turn around and tell people they got to work for it. Now, I think there is a truth in that, that once you are saved, there are works to do. Ephesians tells us that, that you are saved unto good works that you ought to do. But sometimes we get confused about what those good works are because we, we, we have a picture of holiness that is not right. We think that if I look holy on the outside, I'm holy. So we can change externals, but we just sang it in a song. So if you don't believe it, just letting you know you just lied because you were singing it. And it is that holiness is Christ in me. That's what holiness is. <clears throat> and that because he has put his righteousness in me, and then if I know him, that righteousness is going to come out. You with me? The Bible tells us this in other ways too. What you fill your mind up with is what spills out. You know, it, 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 like the guy hits his finger with a hammer and he lets out a, a word that is, is a naughty word, a word that maybe um, some people would blush at. And then he goes, oh, I'm sorry, that slipped. No, it didn't. It spilled out when we shook your glass. If this glass were full of water and I shook it, water's going to come out, right? So what you're full of is what comes out when you get hit, right? Somebody help me. Amen. But, but I got so caught up in that, I thought I had to look a certain way and do a certain thing. Don't listen to this and do listen to that. And don't say this and do say that. And wear these clothes and don't wear those clothes. And, and all that is externals. None of that makes you holy. None of that makes you even look holy. It just makes you look conformed to whatever pressures are there. And, and so I was confused about it as a kid. And, and, and God's helped work me through that. And then 
I, I thought of Christianity and the church in such a way, I came to a point where, where the goal of what I was doing was really a worldly success. Where, where, where you measure, if the church is right, well, then it's going to grow to be a million. Well, maybe, if that's God's will. But if it doesn't, that still may be God's will. I mean, did you, did you hear what Brother Justin just said? Churches have been planted they don't even know about. Praise God. It's gone beyond the ability for us to figure it out and hold it together. God does break out that way. And, and so when he gave you those statistics, I was back there just thinking in my head because I know it's hard. You know what statistics are? They're a thermometer. They're not a thermostat. A thermostat sets the temperature. Thermometer just tells you when you're sick and got a fever, right? And so sometimes we can look at statistics and go, look, there's a... There's something wrong here. My, my wife's in education, and one thing she's an expert at, and she'd probably fuss at me calling her an expert, but she's really good at it. I'll put it that way. Is she can go into a school, and they're having a problem, and I know what her first words are going to be. Hand me your data. And then she's going to look at that data, and from that data, she's starting to able to discern certain things. And that's just true in whatever field you're in. Well, in Christianity, this is the measurement of our data. Amen. This is where we come from. And it's not an external type of, of measurement. Um, and, and there are plenty of false preachers out there teaching external measurements. Telling you that if you do this and do that, God will do this and God will do that. God is not a gumball machine. You do not put a quarter of prayer in God's gumball machine and get a gumball. That doesn't work that way. But that's how we think of God, right? That's how we pray. We, we, we're, we're asking God for little treats and favors. And we are not asking God that we would, well, I can't wait to get this part in the past, so I'll just go ahead, contend earnestly for the faith. That is a very strong word. I'll come to it in just a second. But don't we all have similar problems with our different systems, different churches? The reason we have denominations is because in times past, Somebody got it wrong and somebody else thought they were getting it right. Uh, I don't have time. I run down a little thing I heard, but don't have time. But Baptists were born, in, born fighting. I'm just telling you. When Baptists started, we were, we were splitting off from the people who split off from the people who split off from the people who split off. I mean, we, we were just born fighters. It's in the name, okay? Uh, Baptists. So that, that's kind of who we are. And I just want you to know we, that we have messed up God's straightforward gospel. God has not made it complicated. He's not made it so that we can't get a hold of it. And so what I, what I really want us all to be is a radical Christian. Now, I said that on purpose because I know that you hear the word radical and you think certain things. And I would guess that 99% of us thought of a certain thing. Um, we talk about radical Islam, and those are the terrorists, right? So then people took that and, and, and used that and say, well, those are those radical Christians. You know, they're, what, you know what the word radical means? It means from the root. It means the basis, the basics. It doesn't mean somebody that's way out there. It means somebody that's centered and is staying with the basic. The, what, is, what is right here? What is the summation? What is the source of it? And so I want us to be radical Christians. I want us to not get so far away from where we are supposed to be. And so I, I, I want to take this passage and just show you some, a few things in it. Boy, and I don't have a whole lot of time left. So listen fast because I'm about to talk fast. 
First of all, we are united in faith. All right? Notice what he says in the first part. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. First of all, he uses the word beloved. We are united in love. We love one another. That is a very, very, very tender word that he uses there. We should be loved by one another. We ought to love people that rub us the wrong way. There's a difference between like and love, and I know that. I don't want to make too much of that because we are called as Christians to love. And sometimes just even the way we say things doesn't sound real loving. And, and I, I catch myself on this. This is a biggie for me uh, because I'm very easy to be critical. I'm very easy to be judgmental. I'm very easy to, to jump to a conclusion. So, so I, I, I have to be very careful. God has called me to love other people. And the one place somebody ought to be able to come in and feel loved and comforted is in a church, is in uh, the body of Christ. But I, I want you to notice that we have that love because we have a shared salvation. Now, in a family, you got to put up with the crazies because you got the same last name, right? You're, you're related. Uh, my wife's nephew has, has gotten into genealogy, and we've been finding out some very interesting things about my wife. I just want you to know. <laughs> They're actually good. I'm just kind of teasing her, but... But, uh, but, but some pretty amazing things we didn't know about. And, and uh, she could be on one of those TV shows. Really? That happened? Um, it's, it's that good. But, but we, we share a common salvation. What does that mean? That means everybody gets saved the same way. You don't get into this family some other way. Isn't that what Jesus was saying in John 10, 10? He said the thief, uh, he says in John 10, the thief comes in, he crawls in through a window or, or you know, he breaks through a wall or something. He doesn't just walk in the front door because he's not the shepherd. The shepherd comes in the front door and he knows his sheep. We're of one flock. We're of one people. And we are loved by one God. And so we ought to be united in our faith because we are united in, in the salvation and love that God gives. But we're also united in conflict. Not conflict with one another. Conflict with a common enemy. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Now listen, this book of Jude is written by one of Jesus' half-brothers. The book of James and the book of Jude, these are half-brothers of Christ. They did not believe in Christ until after the resurrection. They thought he was a Looney Tune guy until he rose from the dead and they went, whoops. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul says, this is the gospel I delivered to you, it's very simple, few verses. He says he appeared to James and the brother, which James, his half-brother, he appeared to him, probably appeared, Jude probably saw him too, and they went, okay, you were right along, sorry about that. And these both men, they grew uh, and, and became James, the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he was the leader of that church, Jude wrote this book, but Jude was a disputed book, I'll tell you why, it's because he quotes the book of Enoch in here. And the book of Enoch is a book that we don't think is, should be in the Bible but we now, in recent research, believe that Enoch actually did write it and that it survived the flood somehow, that Noah carried it across uh, the flood. It's the seventh from Adam, Enoch. And in here he quotes him, but Paul quoted a secular uh, philosopher of Crete as well. So if it's in the Bible, that means God wanted us to hear it, whether or not everybody said something. Oh, okay, sorry. I just, all of a sudden, I was just like, whoom. I hear something I don't, sorry about that. All right. So, I, I want you to hear why we, I, I want you to catch what he says in this. It is necessary. He says, he is driven 
by necessity. We are driven by necessity to contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Well, he explains that the rest of Jude is about this hor- these horrible things that come against the gospel. We are driven by necessity to speak up. America was founded, uh, or when we were founded, because political speech was limited and punished, that we could have freedom of speech. And the freedom of speech means that you can say what you want and, can't, and you're not supposed to be punished by the government for it, okay? And if you really cleared out the definition, we wouldn't have as much problems as we think we have. But we are seeing, we're coming in, in our society here, it's already around the world, to a time where you can't say the truth. And Satan also will, always wants to suppress the truth. You know the most open-minded people in the world are Christians who everybody thinks are closed-minded. It's once you discover the truth... You hold on to the truth and you contend for that truth. You hear what they're saying. You understand what they're saying. You, you get it. You factor it in. But realize, but that's not true and this is. And so what he is telling us is necessary for us. He said it was necessary for me to appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith. I, I looked the word up. I, I, did you know there are not a whole lot of... Uh, a lot of commentaries on the book of Jude. Uh, even the ones that I do have are in big volumes and they didn't say a whole lot. So I asked around and, and it happens to be uh, Pastor Stevens, one of his favorite past books. And so he said, I got a book. Man, it, that book was that thick on this one chapter. It was pages and pages and pages on one word. It, it was just crazy. I, I couldn't even read it all so much. But I, I did read about this, this word. It, it means to, like you... I'll take a bullet. I will die before I quit fighting. It is, I will not give this up at ever. I am to contend for it. Now, that mean you got to be ugly when you're contending. Because you got to think of this kind of in warfare terms because we're at war. But you don't have to be ugly, but you got you to be rock solid. Some of the strongest people that in the world, the greatest leaders, they don't raise their voice. They'll get excited. They just, they're immovable. And we have a truth that is immovable. And he tells us that we ought to contend earnestly for that faith. And notice what he says. To contend earnestly for faith. For a faith. There's only one faith. For the faith. What is that faith? Well, this faith is settled and unalterable. I would want to just point that out. It was once for all delivered to the saints. That once for all means there are no updates. There are no appendages. There's no 2.0. It's just faith. And it hasn't changed since it was given to us. And so therefore, you don't need to update the Bible. You don't need a new word from the Lord. Anybody says they're getting a new word from the Lord... It's at best a heretic. And if not, they're a demonic spokesperson. And don't be fooled. I may learn something new out of the scripture, but I don't get a new word from the Lord. Here's the word from the Lord, period. And by the way, that's why when I've been confused about stuff and 
I got some bad news for y'all. I, I don't want you to think I'm like accusing you or could even know what I'm about to say, but so do y'all. <laughs> We're all wrong somewhere, somehow. Trust me, none of us are perfect. So that's why when somebody challenges something I believe or thinks I'm being wrong or something ought to be different, I go, well, let's look at it. Show me. And if you can't show me in here, then we don't have anything to talk about. Then it's your preference. It's not a direct command or a, a thing from God. You may have a great idea, and God may allow it in the context of Scripture. That's wonderful. And I do want to hear that. But don't make your preference Bible. And we've done that so much in the church, haven't we? Got to sing a certain kind of song or got to do it a certain way. And a lot of our traditions we think are biblical. And when we look in the Bible, maybe not so much. In fact, the way we're meeting right now is not in the Bible. It is, but it isn't. I, I shouldn't say it that way. But it was 330 years after Christ's resurrection before you could meet openly, legally. And so they, that's why there were house churches. That's why so many of them. We are in a privileged place. It was, it was meant to stay in a smaller group. It was meant to be just teaching those who could teach those who could teach those who could teach those. That Justin was talking about that is the nature of how we, our, our method of going forward with the truth. But here, I, I want you to see that we're also united in purpose. We're united in faith. We're united in the conflict. But we're united in the purpose. And we contend because of intentional evil. For certain people have crept in un unnoticed. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Now, I, 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 I'm going to tell you, I'm struggling a little bit here because the angels that fell were long ago put, locked up for judgment later. And I believe that's what he's referring to because as he goes along, but he uses the word people. But as, as, he, as we go along, he talks about Michael, as far as we know, the, the highest warrior angel that didn't fall, who is fighting the prince of Persia, has to come to release Gabriel over Persia because the fallen angelic force over Persia was contending with Gabriel and Michael had to come in and fight. And then Gabriel says, now I got to go back and help Michael because now the prince of uh, another place has come and joined the fight and I got to go fight with them. I, w what you and I, we come to church and the culture that you and I grew up in, I'm not fussing at you. I just want you to, Get a picture of who you are and where you're sitting. Most of you probably grew up going to church. Some of you may have come to the Lord later, but you will be in a minority in most group settings. And we grew up coming to church. I grew up coming with my parents to church. As a kid, I never thought about somebody's going to jump out and stop us. And we still don't think that way. And I sat on the fifth row on that side, and it wasn't curved like this. This is nice. It was just straight rows. And number five over there, piano side, I grew up sitting there with my family. All right? And boy, I had a little suit on when I was a little fella. And my Bible, my Sunday school, but all that stuff. And we had all of those things. But here is the faith that God created a world and put a man in it. And somewhere just before or after that, 
one of his highest creations who was called a son of God, rebelled against him and took other sons of God with him. And they went to war with Yahweh Almighty and his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And the way they fought him, they got cast out of heaven. So let's do the next best thing. And God created a new thing called a human being. And if we can get them to mess up, we'll control the world. And they took away not our dominion, but our authority. And there has been a cosmic battle going on that we can't see that has results and effects in the world we do see. So when you hear the news, you got to think about that in terms of this is a cosmic battle between truth and evil, period. And that's why he says you better contend earnestly for the faith. And that faith is this, that man fell and Satan brought us to that place. But God himself put on flesh and dwelt with us and lived a perfect life and went to the cross and paid for sin and took sin out of our way so that the Holy Spirit, God by his Holy Spirit, could take residence up in us and Christ in us makes us righteous and restores authority over the powers of the enemy. Because think about what Jesus said just before he ascended. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on this planet. You go therefore because I have the authority and I'm giving it to the church to go and contend earnestly for this message of salvation and faith. And then we start fighting over stupid things. How many of you ever heard of the sermon Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Heard about it. Okay, a lot of you. If you haven't heard of it, it was preached by a guy named Jonathan Edwards, believed to be the smartest man that ever lived on the shores of this country. He was a preacher. He preached a big series of sermons. That was the last one. And God gave us a great revival movement in the nation because of that. Jonathan Edwards was fired from his church because he wouldn't let a couple of teenagers participate in something the kids were doing because they hadn't done what they were supposed to do. So the church fired him for being the youth pastor. That's not contending earnestly for the faith. And I, went, I, re, I reached 300 years, 250 years ago to get that illustration. Just to let you know, it ain't new. Read First and Second Corinthians. They don't, they don't want Paul around. And Paul contended earnestly until they got it right. And the Bible is full of those things. Because the faith is perverted by these, the Bible calls them here, these people who creep in. And notice what it says. They are ungodly who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny the only master and Lord. They, they pervert the gospel that sets us free and says, well, if you're free, you can do anything and leads us into a, a, a different kind of error. Our grace is misinterpreted and misused in our life. God gave us grace to save us so we don't have to worry about that. 
And once we are saved, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to separate us from the love of God. But that grace transforms us into the image of Christ so that we begin to look like him. And looking like him is not just coming to church on Sunday morning. It's becoming friendly to people who need to hear the gospel and speaking to them and loving them and serving them because they are caught by our enemy. And instead of criticizing them, we ought to have pity and compassion because they've been caught by Satan and his traps and are on their way to hell without the gospel that we should be contending earnestly for. You see, we're united in agreement because the common enemy wants to deny Jesus in his exclusivity. I'm past time, so I'm going to say this quickly. There is salvation in no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4, 12. Of his position, he is God Almighty, the Son of God, come in the flesh. Brothers, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. For no one can say, Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord, unless the Spirit leads him. His authority, I've already told you, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. There is no authority but him. All power, they deny his power. Colossians 1, he thought of creation, he did creation. He holds creation together by the power of his hands. And one day, he's going to let go and all creation will melt with a fervent heat. And those not with him are going to be in the heat. That's power. And his identity. He is son of God and son of man. He is our savior. He is the one who loves us. Notice this. He is master and Lord. He rules us by practical ruling, but he's also Lord. That's position he holds. And his name is Jesus, and he is the anointed one, the Christ, sent from the Father. That's who he is. That is for what we contend earnestly. Everything else is not important. Everything else is not important. I can't wait to come back and talk about how this applies in the church. What can you do this week? Well, here's some quick things. First of all, believe the one true faith. Believe the one true faith. We need to be very careful. I hear songs on the radio, on the Christian station. I go, that's heresy. That's wrong. Doesn't apply to the Bible. And then, I won't, I won't name names, but man, this person put out an album I never heard of the person before and all of a sudden I'm hearing their songs like finally deep songs deep great lyrics and then they were on a talk show and didn't know up from down about what's right and wrong in the scripture somebody just had them the songs that sing these and so it could sound good doing it so they did I love the songs and I pray for the artists I don't want to condemn anybody I'm just saying we got to contend earnestly for the faith we need to be involved so, well, preacher, you, you've studied it a lot longer. Yeah. Did you catch the point? I studied it. You can study it too. My kids went to Christian school. And they used to say, and one of them in particular, I don't remember which one would say, Dad, they say, well, you ought to know that. Your dad's, or, well, you know that because your dad's a preacher. And they'd say, I don't know that because my dad's a preacher. I know that because I studied it for myself. Friend, you, you shouldn't need, need me 
to find out about God. You got the same access to the same resources I got access to. I, I get that God's blessed me to have a time and, and all that. But friend, I don't want you to go, well, I could never learn all that. Yes, you can. It's not that hard. You can do it. God didn't make it complicated. This is a book of answers, not a book of questions. Secondly, I'd say commit yourselves to building your faith. Well, I just said it. By the study of Scripture with good guides. They're good guides. There are good preachers out there. There's good books out there. And if you've got a question, hey, ask, ask somebody that you trust. Because it's not hard to figure out, wait a minute, that's, that one's not good. Uh, it's easy, when you know the truth, it's easy to see the faults. You don't study the faults to learn the truth. Learn the truth, you know the faults. Thirdly, I would say contend for the faith where you work, sleep, eat, and play. Where you live, just contend. You know, again, you don't have to be ugly. Somebody says something is wrong or whatever, just say, you know what, I, I used to think like that. Or I can say, how oh, you believe that, but here's something I learned. And share the gospel with them. I've done that nice, I usually do it ugly, so I have to catch myself. If I do it, I do it ugly. But just take the word of God, hold on to what the message we have is, and give it to others.